Welcome to the Experimental Aircraft Channel podcast and video podcast series. Watch on YouTube under EAC Aviation Podcast or on iTunes, Podbean, or Google Play by searching Experimental Aircraft Channel. Here we talk about aviation in the form of experimental, light sport, and ultralight aircraft. Let's dive right into the interview. Okay, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Experimental Aircraft Channel podcast and video podcast. Uh, today, I've got a special guest coming all the way on the other side of the planet from Africa, uh, and uh, we're going to talk aviation, and um, he actually is a, is a missionary pilot in the field, so we're going to talk some stole stuff, real-life stole stuff here in a minute, too. Pete, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, Brian. Yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, we're in Uganda, actually, right now. Uh, sheltering in place at the moment, um, but uh, we've been here, we've been in East Africa for four and a half years, uh, and we, uh, I say we, my wife, and uh, I have three kids here. I have one in the U.S. in college right now, so we're, we're on a couple different continents at the moment, but, uh, but we really enjoy uh, the work here, and uh, yeah, thanks for having us, Brian. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you uh, carving out some time of your, your schedule to do this. And everybody, I'm just going to say that being this is all the way across the planet and he is in a remote location, there might be a little bit of hiccups here and there. So this is not live and I'm going to try to edit that out as much as possible just to understand the situation of, of where he's at. So uh, Pete, um, I guess start off talking a little bit about um, kind of your where you got started with this and first off with the aircraft, like we've talked in the past and you actually were... Uh, a builder in the experimental world yourself before before all this. So talk to me about uh, between that and how you got started in aviation or got the bug for it, because it kind of ties in together, I understand. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I, here, let me take care of something there. I grew up in a family that uh, was uh, heavily involved in aviation. Um, my dad's EAA number is 22. Uh, 24,761. So he was in it early. And uh, so I kind of grew up around home built and my parents built two airplanes. Um, they first built a wood Tempeat. It's a two seat low wing, um, all wood aircraft. And then they uh, sold that and built a T-18, uh, which is a aluminum, all aluminum, uh, rivet and construction and also that's a, thorp, two a thorpe t18 yeah. yeah okay yep yeah so that's that's my memories my early memories of flying was in that uh with my parents and uh it kind of went on the back burner it wasn't really interesting to me i guess uh that much uh but in my mid-20s i kind of it came up again and uh I went back to Oshkosh in 2002, uh, no, 2003, I think. And then I'd been back ever since, uh, really caught it again. And yeah, I built uh, a Titan Tornado S from a kit. Yeah, I'm losing just a little bit there. So, a a Titan, uh, Titan Tornado. My family was growing. And so I was like, you know, I, I, 
the first thing I built was a Titan Tornado S okay. and loved flying it. It was really fun to fly, kind of like a sports car. Uh, pretty cheap to operate, five gallons an hour on the Rotax 912. Um, yeah, fun airplane, but the family was growing. I was having kids. They didn't all fit. So I sold that and started building a Bearhawk 4 place uh, from scratch. And um, I was at about my 10-year mark is when, uh, when the Lord really called us into missions. And I ended up selling it. I had the wings. Wings are all aluminum. And I had those completely finished. Uh, I had the fuselage finished welded and uh, sold the project to a guy named John Wheeler in Idaho. And he finished it and he's flying it around. He sent me videos of it. And uh, it's, it's really fun to watch it someday. Maybe I'll get to fly it when we're back in the U.S. But, you know, when, we, when I was, um, well, that would have been 2011, um, I really felt the call to do something else. Um, I was an electrical engineer and loved my job, but I just felt like there was something else for me. Uh, and, and the more I looked into mission aviation, uh, it was something that I felt uh, the Holy Spirit just telling me to do. Like, you can do this. Not everybody can do it. But uh, I've given you the skills and tips to be able to do it. So we looked into it. Uh, we, I ended my A&P, and um, it, only took, it was a one-year program. So... I went, got my A&P there, which was nice. I mean, I, from building, I had great experiences. Um, I learned a lot, tons of experience learning. You know, I always say I've probably built four airplanes in building one and a half, you know, because. So, so you were halfway there. I, you were halfway yeah, there to your A&P anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I'd build yeah. something and I wouldn't be happy with it. So I'd put it in the scrap pile and make another one to, you know, that I felt was up to standard. So, um, and I felt, but the A&P, you know, filled in a lot of certif uh, certification gaps. Uh, oh, you can't put that on a certified airplane? What? Why? You know, those kinds of things. So. Um, Bailing wire and duct tape doesn't work on the certified world, huh? It really doesn't. But it works so. in the mission field probably, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, te technically, no. Um, we, yeah, because uh, anyway, yeah. Then I then I had to get my commercial license, uh, so I got my commercial pilot's license, and uh, we came over here to Africa with uh, AMAIR, which is the flight department for Africa Inland Mission. So we do a lot of flying for AIM. Um, they have, well, in all of Africa, there's probably 700-ish missionaries. We serve probably 150 to 200 of them in East and Central Africa. So awesome. uh, we, yeah, we get to fly into a lot of fun strips. Some of them are kind of boring. Uh, there's a lot of, most of my flying is up in South Sudan. So um, those strips up there started out as mission strips. And as the UN came in, they said, hey, can we take over this strip and we'll make it big and wide and we'll put gravel on them. And so, you know, a strip that was maybe a thousand feet is now uh, 2000 feet. And 
like 75 feet wide. You know, they just, wow. they're getting big ants off. Uh, they're becoming, they're coming, they're coming to like real airports instead of just yeah. uh, bush uh, landings or something. Well, let me, right. let me back, back up uh, a few miles here for a second um, to get back to where, where you started here. So approximately how old were you and you're an electrical engineer and you're at work and you're thinking, gosh, I want to, I mean, tell me just a minute or two about that. Like, what was that situation? Were you at work one day and it's like, you know what, I've been doing this for years. It's time to do something different. Like what was going through your mind or what was that aha moment? Like, I want to look into getting my AMP and commercial license and leaving the country. Yeah, that's a great question because it was not an aha moment. Um, it took a year. Uh, I was, uh, yeah, I, I'd worked at my job for 12, just about 12 years. Um, and I just felt an unrest in my, in my soul and I didn't know what it was. And it took me a year to figure it out. Um, I did a lot of searching, um, a lot of reading and praying and, and, uh, just thinking. And then, uh, at the end of it, I was like, I had heard a sermon series on fasting and I'd never done it before. So I was like, hey, this, you know, this is a, seems to be, the Bible says it's a great way that God speaks to people. So I did it. Uh, I actually just did lunch fast. So I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. I just went during lunch and I, instead of eating, I would just go pray and read the Bible. And about Monday, Tuesday, about Wednesday, uh, Mission Aviation just popped into my head. I went, that's interesting. Because I was pretty sure that it was going to be that I was going to go into uh, ministry full-time as like a worship leader, um, something like that. I'd led worship at our church for 14 years and loved doing it, but never full-time. That's right. You do so music was, and audio video stuff too, don't you? Editing. Yep. Yeah. 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 So I was pretty sure it was going to be that. But when, when Mission Aviation came into my mind, I thought, that's interesting. And then uh, Thursday, it came back, and I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And uh, by Friday, I was like, okay, I'm not even thinking about anything else but mission aviation. And so I came home on Friday and told my wife, Tia, I said, hey, Tia, what do you think about uh, if we look into mission aviation, maybe going overseas? And she kind of laughed and said, sure, why not? You're always doing something crazy. Let's let's try to figure this out. So that's kind of where it started. And uh, the more we looked into it, the more we just saw that our skill sets together, even my wife and I, she loves to host and uh, just take care of other people like that. So and how were really you when this was going on, this started? Uh, I was 34. Okay. Yeah. 30, 35. Okay. Yeah, I remember that we we had spoke. I I found you on YouTube. I think about five years ago, and uh, you were doing a little promo for SMAT. What, what's that yep. stand for again? School of Missionary Aviation. Uh, School of Missionary Aviation Technology. Technology. Yeah, and I came across yep. that you did a little thing, and you're you're bringing out these. Well, the video is still live. You can still go out and see it. But you land in this airplane. You open up the baggage compartment. Of, was it a two hundred six or a one seventy two? Okay, that's a two. And you start pulling these boxes out. And it's like these boxes of excuses, like I'm too old, I don't have enough money, or I don't know. You went through like five different things. And I thought, A, it was a cool video, which I assume you probably edited that yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great video. 
And it's like, <laughs> I actually started to really consider it. And that's why I reached out to you. We had a conversation, I think like 11 o'clock at night. Because uh, yep. I was looking for something to uh, depart from my normal everyday. And like, wow, I saw you. Like, maybe I can do this. I started to research it. And the more I researched it, it was like, it made me very interested. But at the same time, it's like the, the, the path to get there seemed like years. I thought it was just something that you could just like sign up for and then like jump into. It's like, no, it was like a two or three or four year process. And you have to be, yep. to get support. What is it called? Friend building or what is it called? <laughs> friend raising. Friend raising. Yeah. It's friend raising for fundraising to be able to support you yeah. in the field. So it's a, it's a big, long process, you know, it's uh, for sure, for sure. Which is ironic now because what I'm doing now is almost like friend raising, getting subscribers in and support. Yeah. It's, it's almost the same thing. So it's kind of ironic. Very true. But that's that's awesome. But anyway, that's how I, I came across you. So what was your experience like at at SMAT? That's kind of a a quick program, right? Isn't it like uh, twelve or fourteen months it's or something? 12, yep, no, it's twelve months. Um, it's kind of like drinking from the fire hose if you don't have any experience. Um, but I think they do a great job. It's it's uh, eight and a half hours every day, Monday through Friday. You get like two days off for spring break. It's like a week off for Christmas. And that's about it. Like to hit the hour minimums for the FAA requirements, you just, you just have to be there almost 12 months straight. <laughs> but, now, is that uh, just for the AMP program or is that for the AMP and flight program? So that's the AMP. Okay. And then they have a flight department that also runs all year. Um, and they have a full program and they take you from, you know, they take students from nothing through private and then uh, different transitions for complex and high performance and then instrument. And finally you finish with commercial. So, and they do some, some heavy cross country. They take it, they do a module where you're seven to 10 days down in the Smoky Mountains, just doing different grass strips down there. And so they I actually, loved it. They actually partner with JARS, I think on that, correct? To get the... Yep mountain flying and off airport landing stuff cool yeah it's kind of fun because we matt has a 206 on loan from maf and uh and every time they fly it down there to jars they it always ends up with some jar stickers somewhere on the airplane so <laughs> nice nice so let's uh let's talk about that for a minute um what kind of aircraft i mean has it been solely pretty much the 206 or uh, did you get any tailwheel time or is that not really what's used down there or what, what's the necessary training? Cause as you know, stole is very popular right now. It's almost like a fad, but it, I don't think it's, it's going away. I think people are just right. discovering it and it's becoming so popular. Uh, and a lot of people are, are doing it for fun and to be able to go land, you know, on these different sandbars and gravel bars just for an adventure. And here you are doing it for work. Now there are people yeah. of course in Alaska <laughs> that have to have these planes to get in and out of where they live too. So it's not all play, but for you, it's, it's definitely a job. So what's the, what's the stole world look like for you in Africa and, and for a living? Yeah, it is different. We did get our tailwheel endorsements. Um, and actually the evaluation we do at JARS is in a Helio courier. So um, that's, that's awesome. That is, yeah, I bet that was an experience. It was amazing. Um, very, very nervous. You know, it's, it's a crazy thing, but basically they give you the, the aircraft manual on uh, like 
a Friday and then you study it and you, with no other input, you teach yourself how to fly it basically. Uh, and they have an instructor that's evaluating you, uh, but they don't give you input. So, um, you know, I think I SMAP totally prepared me for it. I, you know, I actually loved flying the, the courier. It was so much fun. And by the end, I was sad it was over um, because it's just a really fun airplane to fly. But that was the last time. Yeah, that was the last time I flew a tailwheel aircraft. So, <laughs> but I enjoyed it. We had a 140 at, uh, at SMAT that we could fly for recreation. So I got some good fun time in that too. But we don't, yeah, we, we strictly, well, we, we fly the 206 and the caravan uh, with AMIR. So um, we don't have any tailwheel aircraft uh, with us here. Okay. And what's, uh, well, a caravan is self-explanatory because that's basically a, a bus. Yeah. Uh, so I assume you haul a lot of goods back and forth with that. And well, I guess, and people too, if you got like a whole, whole family that you can fit, uh, what, the seven, eight passenger, right? Um, actually, ours are, in East Africa, there's, there's a little bit of a difference in uh, operation. We can put an extra row of seats in and we can have 13 passengers in it. What? So, yeah, it's amazing. You, it uh, it kind of makes it look, because normally it's nine, so normally it's three rows of three seats and we can put the fourth row back there. And uh, yeah, so that, that allows us 12 in the back, extra passenger in the front so have the different uh, really uh have the different establishments looked at both the cessna and uh, the kodiak is is quite popular for that too correct is one better it than is. the other in the field not to start any wars but <laughs> <laughs> uh we i think the there's so many caravans in uh kenya they, it's it's the most used aircraft to get people out to safaris and out to the nature preserves and things like that. So there's tons of caravans, and so the parts are plentiful. Um, you know, support for them are great. So we just stuck with it. We don't have anything. I think the Kodiak is better uh, in a stole world, just by a like a hundred meters. But we don't have any airstrips that are requiring that. So. Okay. We we hear good and bad things from Jars pilots that fly them. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's interesting. Yeah, I I went I worked on a caravan on floats when I was younger, like twenty. They were doing the avionics <laughs> upgrade. I remember we worked uh, like through the night to get it done the next day, and um, some of the uh, the head A and P guy I got to go on a test flight and. I was sleeping in the truck or something, so I missed it, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I missed my chance to fly in a caravan. But those are cool planes for sure. It's, an, it's a beautiful aircraft. It, it actually, so we, when you come out to Africa with Amer, you do your first term or term and a half, which is three to four years in the 206, just so you can get oriented to the, the area and, and the officials and the different airports and the terrain. And then they transition you to the caravan. Um, but the reality is the caravan is easier to fly than the 206. I mean, it's just smooth. The controls are beautiful. Um, you know, it's just a fun airplane to fly. So it's kind of like, um, and of course it has autopilot. So, you know, uh, people are like, you get up to altitude and you hit autopilot and you can do your paperwork in the airplane instead of doing it on the ground after the flight. So <laughs> shortens your paperwork time a little bit. So, so that being said from point A to point B, 
is it really just a no-brainer, like the terrain and all that kind of stuff uh, and the weather? Talk to me about that. What's the weather down there like? And when you, when you do, well, let, let's just start like, what's a typical day in the life of Pete? And, you know, sure. and what does the weather and the flight look like? Well, the, the weather here, we're in the tropical zone. So we're, I, where I stay right now, we're three degrees north of the equator. Um, so it's very much... Uh, tropics. It, we don't have fronts, you know, we don't deal with lows and highs and, and things like that. The, the barometric pressure does change a little bit, but not very much. Um, and uh, so the best thing about that is, you know, it's funny because when I landed, you know, you start getting into the flight department and you're like, how do you guys get your weather? You know, you're in the U.S. and you can have weather, weather from a hundred different sources and you know, you're, you're like, uh, you're like, uh, everybody just kind of looks outside. Yeah. yeah, that's about it. That's, that's the move. So uh, you just look outside and you're like, well, I can get out. You know, I can see that mountain over there. So I know the ceiling's high enough. And, and, um, well, those are let, me, let me ask you, is being, being, this is in the bush type of stuff like that. Do you only fly VFR? Is that kind of like a, a strict rule or do you, can do you fly out? Do you file IFR plans to go to certain areas or how, what does that look like? Yeah, so the 206, we both Kenya, Uganda, South Sudan all go by ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Rules, and they don't allow single and VFR. Um, our caravans can fly IFR. and. We do if we're flying, especially if, like to get back into, for example, Nairobi, which has a lot of weather. Um, it's up at 5,600 feet elevation. Um, it's kind of on a plateau. And so, you know, weather just comes up and a lot of times it's socked in by clouds for sure in the mornings. So you file IFR to get out in the mornings. And once you're above the cloud layer, you just cancel and go BFR. Uh, that's kind of how we do it especially in and out of Nairobi. Okay, so, um, so the, na yeah, the nature mean, of the work essentially is you have to be a VFR to be able to land in some of these off airport places. So you, you are mostly VFR unless you're going to town. <laughs> yep, no, nowhere, exactly. Nowhere I fly, <laughs> even the airport that I fly out of up here in Northern Uganda, we don't have an instrument approach. There's no tower. Uh, it, it's... It's just VFR up here. So um, it's good, you know, the, the keeping without radar, for, you know, to, to, because they, the cells can hide in, you know, just overcast. So here, like I was saying, the, the, the weather doesn't move. The good thing is if, it's, if there's a buildup over there, you just go around it and it's mm. not going to come and it's not going to move and take you out at, you know, any, any chance. You just go around things. So you just, as long as you can get under them, it's easy to go around. Yeah. What's the terrain like there? Is it fairly flat or is there some mountains or kind of like comparative to maybe the Tennessee or North Carolina? Some people call those hills, not mountains. So yeah. Yeah. We have, we have, um, yes. Uganda <laughs> is like a big plateau at 4,000 feet. Uh, so most of Uganda is pretty flat. There are some hills, um, some terrain like a, that, that go up a thousand feet. Um, that you, you know, if the weather's bad, you have to know where they are and be aware. Uh, but once you get up in the South Sudan, where we fly the most, 
there's there's uh, mountains that are you know 2,500 feet, 3,000 feet. Then you go up a little farther this way, and there's four to five thousand foot peaks. So it's around, but the farther north you go, the flatter it gets. Um, if I fly about an hour north, it's just flat. It's swamp all the way north, pretty much to the Mediterranean Sea. If you went that far, but gotcha. uh, yeah. It, it uh, it goes the Nile River's there, so it uh, the Nile flattens out, and there's swamp land that surrounds it. So the, for the most part, do you pretty much fly the same path to your different stops, or do you? Yeah, I know the routes. I know the area very well, uh, okay. just because I've flown it enough. So, yeah, it's good to have familiarity with that kind of terrain. And what is your your furthest like when you go out for the morning or for the day? What is your typical? furthest flight before you turn around and come back home and what happens if weather pops up do you have uh, a tent and a an overnight bag always i assume we we don't always have overnight supplies but because like during rainy season um i've i've only been delayed because of weather overnight one time and and we always have alternates and it's usually not like in the U.S. You can have a whole the whole eastern seaboard is socked in, but here it's pretty localized. the 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 rain that's heavy, usually, if it's more than twenty miles in diameter, that's that's really strange. So you know, if you can, um, if you can get around it to a different landing spot, you're probably safe. So, gotcha. Now, yeah, but the- I mean, as far as as far as distance or time, um, the farthest we go is up into the northern part of South Sudan, uh, and that is about a, well, it's about a three and a half hour flight direct from where we are here. So it's it's quite a ways. Yeah, yeah. Bring your, your little John with you sometimes, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We always manage. We're, we're always right on the edge of being dehydrated. You know, you don't want to drink too much, but just enough. <laughs> well, lucky you're in a fairly humid environment, I guess. So you don't uh, dry out too much, but yeah, you don't want to go chug a gallon of uh, anything before you go flying that day, huh? No, no, I stay away from the <laughs> coffee on the <laughs> <laughs> Gotcha, gotcha. Well, I, I feel like I have to ask. I'm, I'm going back to like airplane construction for a minute. Um, well, yeah. before I before I get there. Uh, being that you are an A&P and pilot, so do you do all of your own maintenance or do you have a maintenance department or maintenance facility or whatnot there? How does that work? Yeah, we have dedicated maintenance specialists who are here just like I am. Okay. And so they do all the heavy lifting. They all have IAs. I think they all do, if not a majority of them do. So they do the inspecting and and uh, we we can do we do like 50 hour inspections on the 206 which is basically an oil chain with a really good once over of everything um and and a lot of times when we take an airplane down to nairobi for maintenance for a hundred hour inspection we'll help out so you know we'll we'll sit in the hangar with them and do any work and and i love it i love the maintenance part of it anyway so the more I can get a wrench in my hand, the, better, the happier I am usually. So we'd love a hangar up here. I think the biggest problem is we don't have a hangar in Arua, Uganda. So we're not going to take an airplane apart for several days out on a ramp with, you know, gravel and sure. no protection. Sure. Well, the other question I was going to ask you, I've seen, and I'm sure you have at least over the years, 
um, these videos that come out of Africa with these guys that are trying to build an airplane and uh, just how interesting. Have you ever come across that in any of the villages or any of the cities that people are trying to build some type of contraption to go flying? No, I've uh, never seen it. I have watched some YouTube videos and I'm just I'm like, somebody's going to kill themselves. Right, you know? right. I, I was talking to somebody about this recently and it's like, first I was like, you know, it'd be really cool, especially in the experimental world, right? Is to, is to ship a kit down there and, and actually like, all right, you've, you've done a great job of attempting to do this. Let, let's actually build one together, you know? And then, yeah. can, but yep. it's like, you know, what is he going to do with it then? But the other thought is, and all right, instead of that, which would be a logistic nightmare probably, and maybe bring that, that guy or a couple of those guys over here to do a build. I think that would be a lot of fun, you know? Oh yeah. Because there, yeah. I don't know, there's probably a dozen or two videos out there. These guys trying to build an airplane just because they have a, a sheer passion for it. Right. Yeah. And they're just yep. pulling what they have from their, their neighborhood to try to build stuff. Yeah. There's actually, there's a very, I'd, I'd call it a healthy uh, experimental community in just South of Nairobi. There's a fun little airport. The, 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 the runway is pavers, like landscape pavers. It's beautiful runway. Um, and we were down there doing some training and I found a bear hawk and there's a, I think there's really? a sea camp on there, a couple of kit boxes. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty cool place. So. Very cool. Um, I talked to some, some people recently in the stole world and I just, I started thinking about missionaries, like understanding where you're at. And for the most part, you, you've, you've got for a lack of a better description, true airports almost or just you know gravel or some dirt roads but you've got some some length like what's your shortest runway that you have to land on whether it be a 206 or the caravan yeah actually they're both the same okay. um our our operating procedure says the minimum is 550 meters now which is what 50 6 1700 feet okay um, and that's that's our that's our gross operating weight out of, into and out of those airstrips um, so, you know, they're not like, it's not a gravel bar, but also we're flying a 206 and you're heavy. Uh, you're yeah. Heavy. We're, yeah. We do it just so we can fly in and out of their gross because, um, most of those airstrips are in places where we need to. And if we didn't fly in and out of their gross to be a wasted trip, nobody would pay, uh, that kind of money to get a half half load of the airplane in and out of places. So, so in, in reality though, let's say, and th this is really where this, this comes uh, as a need, you're flying from point A to point B and it, there, there's no runways in between these spots, right? So if something happened mechanically and you had to put down, what is like the shortest, shortest in, in either the 206 or the caravan, or are they about the same, but just one's heavier than the other? What is the shortest distance you, you could put it down and you think? That's a great question. I'd probably say, um, you know, if I'm light, I can probably stop in, uh, don't quote me on this. I don't know. That's a great question. I'd have to, I'd have to run some numbers really, but I think, I think probably uh, 150 meters, you know, so what is that? 450 feet, okay. 400 feet. You know, a lot of times I'm not even on the brakes. Yeah. You, know, you land, you hit your spot and you're slow enough. Um, you don't have to brake too hard before the end of the strip and then you have the brakes. And that really, we, we 
it, well, let me think. In our training, the shortest runway I did was 900 feet okay. in, uh, at JARS. So and that's, that's pretty tight. And, but you just, if you're on airspeed and you hit your spot, it's not, you know, none of us are cowboys. We don't, we're not just trying to, you know, bust the envelope wide open or anything. We, we follow procedures. But in all that planning, if you can hit your numbers and you hit your landing spot every time, there's no, you know, there's, it's not even close. So yeah. we have lots of margin. Well, how often do you go back and forth to the States to visit family? And so it's like a yearly thing or every other year, or how does that work for you guys? Well, for everybody's different with AIM, um, they, they give a lot of freedom to the missionaries. So uh, we, our first year, our first term was two and a half years. We were here and then we came back uh, for about five months, four and a half months to the U.S. And then we came back here and last year we did come back because my son graduated. And so we, we went back to the U.S. and got him for about, we were there for about five weeks and just kind of got him oriented in college and, and things like that and then came back over uh, here. So we'll, we are planning to be here another two years. Uh, well, next July. Yeah, July 2021 is when we plan to be back in the U.S. again. Okay, so, so you won't come over for even a couple of weeks. You'll, you'll be there for another year. Yep. Okay, okay. Yep. And I was just thinking uh, and talking to some different people how cool it would be to add to the mix some of these stole competitions is bringing some missionaries over that, that fly in the bush all the time. And okay, maybe you don't fly, you don't land in like 150 feet, but you know, you could you know, do this and hone your skills for that kind of, kind of stuff. Right. Or yeah, it's all the same principles. It's yeah, the yeah. guys that are doing that. They're on their airspeed, they hit their spot and you stop. And it's yeah. just, instead of going, you know, instead of coming in at, 60 knots they're coming in at 35 or something you know yeah uh, you know i mean even like you see a, a nascar the army has their own nascar team right so why, why couldn't there be a, a missionary uh uh team for stole stole competitions and i mean you're seeing this stuff that um that reno now has added kevin quinn created the stole drags right so that's yep. now there and then high sierra they do the stole drags there that kind of stuff or here's another thought, if you can't come over here that often, but once a year, a couple of years, what if we were to put together something over in Africa and let's not call it a competition because <laughs> everybody involved might be like, well, that's, you know, but uh, a demonstration that yeah. will hone the skills of other missionary pilots. And that would be, that'd be a lot of fun, actually, wouldn't it? Uh, you know, yeah. a class for the 206 or whatever other common aircraft, a class for the caravan. I bet people over here would love to see some competition of caravans landing stole and take. Yeah, we actually, we do actually, we haven't done one in about three years, but we've aim air. We used to do, um, a, a, they call it orally day. That's the runway we land at. And, and we do spot landing competitions just among ourselves. And, uh, we did a flower bomb drop, you know, things like that. So just what it is, it just hones your skills and it makes, you know, I, I'm always trying to hit my spot every time on a landing, but when you're comparing yourself to your, you know, your uh, fellow missionary pilot, it, it ups the stakes a little bit. Yeah. And then, yeah. you know, we, we actually work really closely with MAF, um, both in, well, Uganda, South Sudan, and Uganda, or, and Kenya. So it'd be kind of funny to, 
to get some of those guys involved. They're great pilots too. And uh, we so, so is that just to make, I'm taking notes here. So just to make a list of the organizations that are down there and near you in your area. So it's AIM and MAF. Is there anybody else that, that operates there? Yeah. Uh, Samaritan's Purse operates, uh, well, their main base is in Kenya, but they're mostly flying out of Uganda right now. So okay. uh, and, uh, yeah, they, they could do the stole landing in a DC three. That'd be kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. haven't they converted most of those to turbo props now or are they still radial yeah. oh, they've been converted yeah they're all turbo yep okay yeah that'd be pretty impressive too for sure um yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna put some more thought into that because uh I, <laughs> I think i want to make that happen i'll reach out to these organizations and say hey you know what it'd be very inspiring to not only the, yeah. the pilots that are working doing this and to keep them safer but it'd be inspiring to the, the locals down there too, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's actually, uh, there's a guy who is with JARS, uh, lives in Waxhaw, North Carolina. And he uh, does demonstrations at air shows. So with the Helio. Okay. Um, his name is Mike Mowers. And he, yeah, he, he flies, he actually, I think he has somebody's pride show that he gets to fly around, uh, not, not a jar of airplanes. So he might be a good contact if you want competition. He would probably come and, and uh, make it look really good. Cool. Yeah. I mean, especially the, the Helio came as a, the two options. It was a piston and then also later a turbine, correct? Or there was always yeah, two I've, options? I've never seen the turbine, turboprop model but yeah the um they have the uh, ground power unit the geo 480s with the gearbox on the front um or was yeah, that was that only in the air america movie from years, <laughs> years ago before yeah. iron man was iron man that's right yep crazy movie okay well i'm sure you're you are coming to be probably via satellite or something here so i'll, I'll make this somewhat short Although we've gone about, I don't know, 40, 50 minutes, which is fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I want to say, uh, well, first, you know, if somebody wanted to follow you and your family and your adventures and being a missionary down in uh, Africa, where can they find you on social media, a webpage and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So Instagram is kind of where I've been posting most of my stuff. So that's, I'm uh, missionary pilot Pete is my... Uh, name there. Also on Facebook, it's just Pete Young. There's probably about a thousand of us, but look for the guy with a headset on, I guess. Um, but I have a website. Um, it's called flyingforchrist.com. I actually, <laughs> it hasn't been updated in a while. I've had some connection issues with the server lately, but I try to put up our newsletters and uh, any new information especially when we're back in the U.S. I usually put speaking, a uh, speaking calendar up there. So if you want to hear us and we're in the area, you're certainly welcome to come and, and uh, we'll chat. Awesome. Awesome. Well, again, appreciate carving out some time today and, and uh, I'll check in with you from time to time as you know, I, I see your posts all the time from Instagram and sometimes on uh, Facebook. So it's, yep. it's good to keep a connection there. I like, I like you what you it. do. Keep on doing it and stay safe there. Awesome. Thanks, Brian. All right. Talk to you soon. All right, yeah. everybody. Thanks again for tuning in to this uh, episode and future episodes. I'm trying to do these about once a week. 
Uh, it's a new platform for me to do, but uh, I know a lot of people are driving to work sometimes or working in their shop and want to have something to listen to instead of watch. So hoping to give the option of both, you know, watching this on YouTube or listening to on either Podbean, which is the, the host of this. And then there's iTunes and Google Play. And I'll, I guess I'll try to get on Spotify next or something like that. So we'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in and watching and listening today. Remember to like and subscribe and we'll catch you in the next interview.